everyone. Welcome to Rinse and Repeat. I'm Carol Escoros. As you know, we are going through the women of the Bible, and we begin each podcast with a vignette of a contemporary woman of the Bible. And today's vignette is Lilius Trotter. Lilius lived in the mid-1800s, and she had devoted her life really to reaching the prostitutes of London. In fact, in her 20s, she opened an affordable restaurant for women so that they would be able to eat warm food and not have to stand there eating bag lunches on city sidewalks. She wanted to share the gospel with the prostitutes in London. Meanwhile, Lilius was an incredible artist. She was a painter, and her parents sent her artwork to one of the most gifted artists and art dealers and trainers of artists. His name was Ruskin. And he was so incredibly impressed with Trotter's art that he invited her to Brantwood, his home in the Lake District of England, in May of 1879, so that she could undergo intensive training under him. And he basically said she had one of the most brilliant futures in art. In fact, he said he believed she would be the greatest living painter and that she would do things that would one day be immortal. With his talent as a teacher and his power as a cultural leader, Ruskin believed he could launch her career single-handedly. But that offer came with a caveat. In order to become such an immortal artist, Trotter was going to have to give herself wholly up to her art. In other words, she was having to give everything else up so she could focus on being a painter. After days of agonizing deliberation, Trotter realized she could not devote herself both to art and to ministry. She wrote these words. I see clear as daylight now. I cannot give myself to painting in the way he means and continue to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. She simply had to decline Ruskin's offer. Now, I want to pause in the story there just for a moment and ask each of you for one second, just a a moment of self-reflection. Would we actually do that? Let's be honest here. You had an opportunity to do the thing you are most gifted to do, the job of your dreams, the thing of your dreams. Let's say you're an actor and you're given the best Broadway gig and you're just told, listen, you're just not going to be able to continue to share the gospel in your free time, or you're not going to be able to continue to minister in that servant's capacity like you've been doing, or you get that job offered, you name it. Would you wholeheartedly choose ministry? Or would we be able to say, look, but I could use my job as ministry? Would we? I'm looking at myself here because it would be very tempting to me to rationalize. It would be tempting to say, but look, I could make the kind of money and use that platform to say, Jesus, when I get up there holding my canvas for the whole world to see, I could dedicate all of my art to the world and say, look at this beautiful portrait of Jesus. And I could testify for years to come of his faithfulness with my art. That's not what God led her to do. She declined his offer. She returned to London and she threw all of her energy into the ministry work she was doing in the city. She continued her friendship with Ruskin, but now she actually felt 
a great independence of soul, she said. And she wrote something that was remarkable. I sat with myself thinking about this. This was incredible. She wrote this. The liberty of those who have nothing to lose because they have nothing to keep. We can do without anything while we have God. These are the words of Lilius Trotter. Let me say that again. The liberty of those who have nothing to lose because they have nothing to keep. We can do without anything while we have God. (sighs) I hope you take a moment and you look up the great work of Lilius Trotter because after speaking those words, she was called to foreign missions. And wouldn't you know, she went to North Africa to proclaim the name of God where it had been so rarely proclaimed. She dedicated her life to sharing the gospel to the people of Algeria of all places. From then until the time of her death in 1928, Trotter established 13 different mission stations and had over 30 works under the name of the Algiers Missions Band. And they united under her vision to bring the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ to the women who had been cloistered in Islam and Sufi mysticism in Algeria. And during those 40 years in North Africa, she pioneered the means and methods and materials to reach Arab people in retrospect in ways that people considered hundreds of years ahead of her time. And she wrote devotional literature, but most notably, some of her writings include the parables of the cross and the parables of Christ life. I hope having heard that you'll look up her works, you'll look up her art But see, here was a woman who not only risked it all, she gave it all, not only for her soul, but for the souls of an entire unreached people group. That is the story of Lilius Trotter, but it's also the story of the woman we're about to study today, a woman who risked it all and fundamentally gave it all for a people. And the story today is Rahab. The title of the message is Losing and Gaining It All, Rahab. Now, if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies in from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So here we see that in Joshua, he's commanding the nations to wait on the banks of the Jordan for three days. We learned that earlier in Joshua chapter one. And as you know, Jericho lays right before them in the direct path of the Hebrews who have already crossed the Jordan. Okay, so Joshua is preparing to take the land of Israel after they've been wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years. And this is, of course, after the death of Moses. And he's secretly sending in these spies to scope out the land. Tradition is saying the two spies are the faithful Caleb and the high priest Eleazar. We don't know that to be true 100%, but that's what tradition says. 
And the spies stay at Rahab the harlot's house, Rahab the prostitute. Now, her home is constructed in the city wall, and it's not walls like we understand them today. They are walls that are deep, and they had homes built within them. And her home really operated more like an inn or a tavern, like we would understand them today. And I've seen a lot of commentators try to explain away her occupation to make her more like an innkeeper instead of a prostitute. But the fact of the matter is, do not be confused. She is a prostitute. And hiding the spies in a prostitute's house was actually strategic genius on God and Joshua's part because people would be expected to come and go out of her home. So even a city that's under close guard by the king would expect there to be a bustle around her house. Unfortunately, that's what would go on in and about a prostitute's house. It's horrible. It's terrible. I'm not advocating this, of course. I'm just telling you as historical fact, this is what would go on here. So a spy coming in and out of her house wouldn't seem entirely bizarre. So here we have Rahab, a prostitute. She is a prostitute, but she's also a Canaanite woman, all right? She's a Gentile. So we have a Gentile prostitute woman in Rahab. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Let's pause there. So Rahab obviously is lying to the king here, okay? The Bible does not excuse or condemn the lie. It's simply reporting the lie as she told it. Now, let's pause here for a quick question. Is the lie condoned here? This is interesting. There's a lot of ink spilled on this question. Was Rahab justified in lying to the king? See, the Bible clearly says we're not supposed to bear false witness. Okay, Exodus 20 verse 16 says that. The Bible says we're also to honor the king. That's in 1 Peter 2 17. She does neither. She doesn't tell the truth and she doesn't honor the king. So she's disobeying aspects of scripture clearly. And obviously, if she had purposed in her heart beforehand not to lie, would God have possibly made a way for the spies to do this without her lying? Possibly. All of those things could be true. But my view here is, and again, this is just my view, when dealing with an enemy in wartime, subterfuge is expected in such cases. So for example, with Corrie ten Boom hiding the Jews during World War II, I believe it isn't outright unexpected to do these things. And it's certainly right to do them when the king is in the wrong, the king is doing something contrary to God's law, and it is our duty to protect God's word and his people. 
And more importantly, as we've seen before, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that every believer is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You guys have heard me teach this before. It's called the Bema seat. Now, just bear with me for a second of theology. Our theology is important. I say this all the time. Theology is important. You will not. No students of mine are going to snore at theology. I want us all to get to the point when I say the word theology and you all like perk up instead of tuning out. Perk up when I say theology. The Bema seat is where we are going to stand before Christ, not to be judged for our sin, because guess what? The sins of believers has been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. We are not going to be judged for sin. They're covered. We are going to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, based on our works. Remember, our works there are going to be tried as if by fire. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 is all about, to see if our works were there for our own motivation. Were we doing the good works to be seen of men? Listen, I went on the mission field and it was all about posting pictures on Instagram so I could show how I looked so cute with those kids in Mexico. Was that the motivation or was the motivation real ministry? So We can trust that if the lie was done rightly before God and motivated correctly, God will judge it at the Bema seat. So we don't have to sweat this too much. God will judge it at the Bema seat. One commentator says this, Rahab's lie is not justified, but it does show courage. Consider that she was a pagan sinner It is a city and a culture wholly given over to the worship of false idols and immorality with no previous contact with ongoing study of the word of God or the things of God. What is our excuse when we lie? Oof, 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 double oof, double oof. Talking about pointing the flashlight inward on that one. Ouch. But let's continue reading in Joshua 2. This is good stuff. Verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Please note that verse, verse nine. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did in Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, then go your way." And so you can read the rest of that section. Later, Joshua's team is true to their word. Rahab and her family are in fact spared and protected as promised. But I want to focus really closely on the faith of this 
Gentile prostitute, especially those verses eight and nine. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. I know the Lord has given you this land. How does she know? Look at verse 10. Verse 10 says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. We have heard. Listen to me. Her faith came by hearing. Romans 10, 17 says it perfectly. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why God puts so much stock in the spoken word. Do you ever wonder why it's so important to sit under good teaching? Why is preaching so important in our churches? Why is going to church and hearing your pastor teach? Why do I care so much about podcasts and about radio programs? Why do you think the enemy of your soul does not want you to go to church, does not want you to listen to radio teaching or pastors? Why does no one want teaching to happen? Because faith comes by hearing. And not only does her faith come by hearing, listen to me, look at the nature of her faith in verse 11. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Here, this Gentile prostitute woman knows something critical about God. She knows that God is God in heaven and he's God on earth below. She knows something critical about God himself. Do we? Do we believe that God isn't just God on his throne in heaven, but he is God of the matters affecting us here on earth below? Do we trust him enough, not just to get us into heaven, but to manage the affairs of this life here and now? We've talked a lot about Christian atheism. You know, that tendency we have to freak out when something bad happens. We get our hallelujahs and our amens on at church, but once something bad happens, we act like atheists. We federally and royally freak out like God is not real. But I want to talk to you about something personal in my own life, and this is where I am living right now here at the time of this recording. God is stretching my faith in a new season for me. I am going through a season of more and more spiritual quietness. I am sitting waiting on the Lord. I am waiting for him. I am waiting in his word. I'm waiting for answers to prayer. I'm waiting in stillness. I'm waiting for healing, obviously, but I'm waiting for friendship. I'm waiting for earthly affairs. But more than that, I want to sit and bask in his presence and just enjoy God and be lost in him for a minute. I don't just want to like check it off a list and run about my business. And I don't want to just believe like there are heavenly things and then there are earthly things. I want to experience the intersection of those worlds. And I really believe that that comes in quietly enjoying and basking in God in quietness. I am challenged. Do I trust him not just in talk, but in stillness, in waiting, 
See, not only does Rahab have faith that comes by hearing, not only does she have faith in the true nature of God, but Rahab has faith in the face of incredible fear here. She could be choosing the wrong side. The king could execute her. What if the spies don't keep their word? There are so many what ifs in this story. And yet she's able to have faith in incredible fear because she sees the promises of God as certainties. And she looks as the battle of the Lord as one that's already won. Look at what she says. Again, verse eight, she says, before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them in verse nine, I know that the Lord has given you the land. I know that the Lord has given you this land. Do we believe in his promises with that kind of certainty? Remember 40 years before what happened when Moses sent the spies into the land? What happened then? Those spies were all freaking out with the exception of who? Joshua and Caleb, right? But here we have a Gentile woman who is believing when God's own people 40 years prior didn't. And look, she didn't get hung up on her own junk. Please hear me on this listener. She didn't get hung up on her lineage. I'm only a Gentile. These promises aren't for me. She didn't get hung up on her bad past. I'm a prostitute. These promises of God aren't for me. She didn't get hung up on the impossible situation in front of her. Oh my gosh, the Israelites are about to invade. We're done for. I'm a member of this Jericho house. I live within the city walls. I'm done for. No, she acted by faith now. She acted like God was telling the truth, like his promises were true and imminent. And she moved like God was real and he was telling the truth. And look at the fruit of that faith. Aside from saving the spies and her family, she ends up in the very genealogy of Jesus Christ, you all. Matthew 1 verse 5, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Rahab, listen to me, Rahab is Boaz's mother, the great Boaz, the kinsman redeemer that we're going to look at when we study Ruth. Boaz is this picture of Jesus in the Old Testament, the one who redeems. Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And look at Hebrews 11.31. I'll close with this. Hebrews 11.31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. She makes it into the hall of faith. By faith, she didn't perish with the non-believers. James 2.25 backs that up. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? She revealed her faith by her works. Hear me on this. What has you hung up thinking the promises of God aren't going to apply to me? I have sinned too much. I'm too far from God. Are you too far from God? Come back today. What's got you hung up? Cry out to God. Cry out to God right now. 
You could cry out to him in this moment and be in his very presence as Rahab was. There is nothing you have done that can separate you from the love of God that is available through his son, Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing as our sister Rahab shows us in this passage. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Rinse and Repeat. You can tell I'm so impassioned. I am so impassioned about Rahab, this woman who had such great faith, even though she was a Gentile, she was a prostitute, she was living within the Jericho city walls. Wow, what a great woman of God. Thank you for joining me for Rinse and Repeat. You can learn more about Rinse and Repeat the radio program or the podcast through my website, caroliscaros.com. That's caroliscaros.com. You can check out the reading plans that we have published, upcoming speaking engagements. You can always get in touch with me through the website. Again, that's carol, E-S-K-A-R-O-S.com. And as always, I look forward to you joining me next time for our next episode of Rinse and Repeat. Rinse and Repeat.